the reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 9, reading verses 19 to 31. I invite uh, your reverent uh, hearing and also hearing in faith of the public reading of God's word in Acts chapter 9. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It's uh, my view that we live in an age of uh, counterfeits. Uh, specifically, I address counterfeits in the church, uh, but nevertheless, counterfeits are everywhere in our culture. I'm reminded one of my uh, hobbies that I little engage in is uh, uh, collecting uh, the old American gold coins, uh, $20 gold pieces. Obviously, I don't collect them uh, very rapidly for the obvious reasons, but, uh, but it never surprised me when I, when I learned that the Chinese had flooded the market with counterfeits. Well, it's not just American gold coins. They flood the market with counterfeit screws and counterfeit this and counterfeit that and counterfeit truth. But apply that to the scriptural realm. Counterfeits abound. Why is that? Well, it's because we live in the last days. Uh, Luke tells us that in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He acknowledged that the last days have come. The great outpouring of the Spirit is an indication of that. And so you and I must be aware that in the last days we have to deal with counterfeits. And those counterfeits come into the church. And that's what the church here in Acts chapter 9 is struggling with. This guy Saul, really? He's a killer? He's been, he's been killing our beloved 
he has uh, unified himself with the high priest to uh, arrest and to effect ruin in the church, and now he professes to be a Christian. Who can we trust? Is he a counterfeit or is he the real deal? Well, the church is suspicious of, uh, of uh, Saul, as they should be. Uh, but he proves to be genuine. And that is what Luke tells us in this paragraph. And his genuineness is evidenced in a number of factors. Uh, his preaching, uh, as I've suggested on a number of occasions, not just preaching, it's the content of the preaching. You vacate the content, you have counterfeit preaching. His, uh, his genuineness is found that uh, in, in the midst of uh, persecution, he continues faithful. He doesn't retire. He doesn't go on sabbatical. Uh, he continues uh, his ministry to which God has called him. His genuineness also evidenced in divine initiative. Uh, and so let's, let's look at these factors that evidence uh, the genuineness of uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, here still named Saul. Well, genuineness, of course, is, uh, is ultimately a divine event. Uh, God must make us genuine in the faith. Uh, it is uh, seen in Paul in a text that I shared with you uh, very recently, but I think it's very beautiful in a display that God takes the initiative to make us real in the faith. Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 16. Uh, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, that's a divine initiative. Uh, before you were even born, if you are truly a Christian, before you were even birthed, God set you apart to be genuine in his ministry. And he called you by his grace from eternity past. Marvels of the grace of God. Incredible. Why, why should He set us apart? There's really no reason other than His sovereign grace. Why should He call us? There's no reason other than His sovereign grace. So, ultimately, all of us, including the great Apostle Paul, owe the genuineness of our salvation. It's the real deal to the sovereign grace of God. Reminder that God's saving grace changes us and makes us real. Uh, well, I, I also mentioned that the genuineness of uh, Saul is also manifested uh, in uh, preaching and in content. Here, there's a geographic expression, uh, first in uh, Damascus, verses 19 to 25, and then in uh, Jerusalem, uh, verses 26 to 31. But at Damascus, there are decisive events that indicate that Paul is real. It's not a counterfeit. He's not engaging in subterfuge. He doesn't come into the church uh, to eventually corrupt it. Uh, and we know this from uh, verse 20. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is uh, the Son of God. Immediately, he began proclaiming the gospel. 
We see something of this, for example, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. That's what Christians do. That's one way you can know that they're genuine. They begin to proclaim Christ. Uh, that, by the way, begins uh, Saul's ministry. Uh, let's, let's look how it ends. Uh, final chapter of uh, the book of Acts, chapter 28, verse 31. What was Paul doing? Well, the same thing he did in Damascus, proclaiming, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. It's a mark of genuineness. Very interesting, uh, scholars sometimes uh, struggle to put a date on uh, the conversion of uh, John Calvin. Uh, he was an incredibly gifted secular scholar. And you know how they date his conversion? Uh, he begins writing about Jesus Christ as Savior. Just like the Apostle uh, Paul. Proclaiming the Savior to what Christians do. And verse 20, again, uh, we're reminded that the right content must be present. There's preaching all over the world today. Sadly, some of it is counterfeit. Within the church, we expect that outside the church. But within the church, because Satan invades the church with counterfeits. So the right content is a display of genuineness. Uh, and... Saul preached, verse 20, Jesus, the Son of God. For orthodoxy, this is a necessary tandem. You preach Jesus as the Son of God. You preach the historic Christ, the risen Christ, as who He is, the Son of God. As the Son of God, He possessed the entirety of the substance of the essence of the Father and the Spirit. He lacked nothing because he was God himself. He is the image of the invisible God in the entire radiance of his glory because he's God himself. It's the exact representation, the author of the book of Hebrews tells us, of the nature of God. Exact. No shadow of change in degree. The exact representation, the image of God. I see this uh, acknowledgement here in uh, Acts chapter 9 uh, as an echo of Psalm 2-7. Uh, as you know, the, the psalmist uh, referencing uh, David, if not David himself, answers a perceived threat with uh, acknowledging the decree of God, meaning that it is fixed and certain. And what is that decree? God says of his son, thou art my son, and today I have begotten thee. It's a coronation formula fulfilled immediately in the life of David the great king, but fulfilled ultimately in Christ, the greater David, the greater king, the messianic king. We know that because of the transfiguration when this uh, 
when this psalm is uh, recited by God the Father identifying his son. The begetting is a figure of speech uh, in which the installation or coronation is compared with the birth of a son, referencing the uniqueness of the relationship and the elevated status of God the Son as the Messianic King. The universal dominion, of course, uh, of uh, the Messianic King uh, is now living history in the book of Acts. It's begun, it started. Uh, and the Gospels, of course, are an indication of that, but certainly uh, Acts, in part, is narrative history. It's not just narrative history. It's a book filled with eschatological fulfillment. Uh, the unique Messianic King has uh, begun his reign, gathering his people. Uh, the, uh, the enemies of Saul, of course, acknowledge this as well. They're amazed at it. Uh, it's evidence of the radical change that uh, God uh, begins to affect in the life of his many sons. This is confirmed in verse 22. Uh, notice again, act and content. Uh, Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Uh, customary element in the life of the Christian, increasing in strength. We begin as babes, but we increase in strength by the grace of God. It's a reminder, I think, that genuineness is in part reflected in continuity. There's a continuity in the life of the Christian. We grow in our understanding of doctrine, theology, the Bible, but we also increase in strength. And both of those, by the way, are remarkable tandem. You cannot increase in strength as a Christian if you uh, neglect the Scriptures, theology and doctrine, historic orthodoxy. In that regard, uh, genuineness is a product of a measure of time. It's very interesting, uh, increasing in strength is in the passive voice, meaning that God is acting upon him. That's one of the marvels of the grace of God. Uh, Saul was born again. He's called by the grace of God, and God begins to act upon him. And that continuity is exactly what occurs in our own lives. God does not leave us to wander self-directed. We are his sons. He causes us to increase in strength. We might bear witness to the majesty of his name. Uh, and that too, of course, is divine. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Of course, the all things uh, contextually defined. Uh, we, we sometimes get hung up on words like all. Uh, Paul could not fly. He could not live underwater. But he was strengthened to engage in Christian service. And in that regard, he could do all things through the God who strengthened him. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. Last book that the uh, apostle appends. But the Lord stood with me 
and strengthened me in order that through the proclamation uh, might, might be fully established and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Probably an allusion to Daniel and Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den. Remind you, uh, as God strengthens you, you will encounter tribulation, uh, but the Lord will stand with you uh, and strengthen you, and He will always deliver you. He always delivers His own. None are forgotten. None are left behind. The grace of God. There's a beautiful application of this if you would turn in your New Testament to uh, the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, 6th chapter, the 10th verse. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Context is spiritual warfare. Uh, if you will, we could say the context is the end time tribulation, inaugurated by events like Acts 2. We're in the last days, Luke tells us, the outpouring of the Spirit. End time tribulation has begun. Spiritual warfare. We're to be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. It's an imperative be strong in the Lord. And the strength of his might is the source. One of the things I love about the grace of God, he gives us imperatives, and then immediately he's the resource. He doesn't say, well, good luck, hope you make it. Of course, I don't believe in luck. He doesn't wish us well and then say, well, maybe you'll get here, maybe you won't. No, he resources us continually. The continual strength of God to his people, to his sons, strengthening them. The how is in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Every day you encounter the schemes of the devil. Flooded by counterfeits. uh, By people who seek to play false and deal loosely. We're, We're to put on the full armor of God that we might uh, engage the schemes of the devil in the end time tribulation. That God acts upon us, we put on, and God is the source. Marvels of the grace of God. Remember uh, when I was in the army, uh, I was uh, issued uh, uh, an individual weapon. It was kept in uh, units I was in, in the supply room, there was an armorer, and he had control over all the weapons. You wanted your weapon, you took your weapons card, and you gave it to the armorer. Then he gave you your weapon. No card, no weapon. Always had a weapons card. Give it to the armorer, he issues you your individual weapon. So there's an interplay here between uh, responsibility and sovereignty. God is sovereign. He supplies us with strength but we're to engage and be responsible by putting on the full armor of God. That's how we stand fast, by the way, in the end time uh, difficulties that flood the church, part of which are dealing with counterfeits, false teachers, 
false prophets. Uh, the reason we're to do this, uh, again, repairing back to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, is in the 12th verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you know or not, you are in the midst of a titanic struggle for the faith. It is undiluted, continuing spiritual warfare against you to try to get you to defect, to try to get you to compromise, to tempt you, to flood you with counterfeits, to pay you off with counterfeit money. I've always amazed my, my evangelical brethren that say, well, the tribulation is yet in the future. What do you think Paul is talking about in verse 12? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the world forces of darkness arrayed against us. We're going to see that in Saul's life, but you're going to see it in your life. Never forget that you're in a war. Never forget your need for the grace of God, the constant supply of His strength, and that He also expects you to be responsible and to put on the full armor of God because of the vagaries and the intensities of the time, the strength of the might that He gives to you. The, the strength is seen in the life of Paul uh, in verse 22 uh, by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He continues his ministry. Everyone's trying to kill him. Paul doesn't give up. He doesn't retire. He doesn't go on sabbatical. He doesn't say, well, uh, it's not for me. He doesn't retreat. He doesn't say to himself, if I knew it was going to be this way, I'd have never joined the church. Not looking for an easy way. He understands the times. Uh, and how is he proving the Christ? From the Scriptures, of course. That's the act of the, of the Christian, the act of the preacher, but the acts of all of us. Uh, speaking uh, to people about who Christ is. And again, the content of his preaching is messianic. Christ was the anointed of the Father as King. His kingdom has begun. Uh, it's a reminder if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Repent. Uh, believe and be baptized. Because the day is late. The warfare is incredible intense, magnified, uh, and uh, God is your only, only comfort in such days and times. Uh, phase two, of course, of the kingdom is when Christ will come again in glory. Uh, I would remind you that uh, counterfeits vacate act and content. We must not but it's a mark of uh, the genuineness of the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's also genuineness in uh, the validation of the Orthodox Church. Again, repairing back to Acts 9, in Jerusalem, Barnabas testifies of Saul's boldness to speak in the name of Jesus as he was doing in uh, Damascus. And he does the same in Jerusalem. Uh, notice the continuity, verse 27. Uh, 
Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. That's genuineness. And I understand the difficulty of it. Sometimes, not temerity, we're, we're afraid. Uh, uh, you know, what will my friend think of me? On and on, but that's the genuine Christian bearing testimony of the strength of the might of God. The reference to the name is a figure for the entirety of the person and work of Christ. So, preaching and act and content. Uh, thirdly, there is a genuineness, as I've suggested, in uh, Paul's continuance in the faith, uh, even though he's in tribulation, people are seeking to kill him. I might remind you that uh, tribulation takes different forms, different parts of the world. Uh, I suspect the tribulation for a Christian in North Korea is entirely different than a Christian in the church of the United States of America. Probably the same in Saudi Arabia. Different parts of the world. You confess Christ, it may cost you literally your life. I think the tribulation in the American church is we're just flooded with counterfeits. And because we downplay doctrine and theology, we can't tell the difference. We don't know the difference. And truth be known, we don't even really care. We just want to go and check the box. It's not genuineness. Genuineness is uh, persevering in tribulation. Uh, it's seen immediately in the life of, uh, of Saul, if you will, in his conviction. Uh, to the faith. If you look uh, back in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 to 16, uh, Go, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's just part of the Christian faith. Suffering for the great name of Jesus Christ. One way we imitate Jesus, uh, he persevered in his earthly ministry and never compromised. And perseverance through suffering, of course, is a mark of genuine faith. Uh, well, again, geographically in Damascus, the Jews plot to kill him. He flees to continue witness. In Jerusalem, the Hellenists attempt to kill him. Again, he's spirited away by the church for future engagements. Let's, uh, let's look at an applicable verse, uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, and verse Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Well, of course, the immediate audience is his apostles, but that applies to us, of course. How'd you like to be commissioned as a sheep <laughs> to go to wolves? They don't have a chance. Well, that's why you put on the full armor of God, and that's why you rely upon God every day is the strength of your might, trusting his grace. 
the metaphor, of course, uh, danger is followed by uh, three imperatives. Uh, uh, the first is uh, be wise. Uh, New American Standard says uh, be shrewd. Uh, notice the simile as a serpent's and innocent as doves. Uh, I don't know a lot about snakes, but uh, typically they try to get out of your way. Uh, know a little bit more about doves. If you get too close to them, they're going to fly away. They're going to flee because of danger. Uh, I, I do remind you that uh, Paul is going to flee, but not from his calling. He continues wherever he goes, proclaiming the name of Christ. Uh, the, uh, the second uh, uh, imperative is in verses 17 to 18. Beware of men. Why? Because they're going to deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. That's what's going to happen to Paul. I don't know whether it will happen to us or not. Who knows what the future holds. Uh, what we do know is that we must persevere in suffering, faithful to Christ. Uh, thirdly, uh, verses 19 and 20, when they deliver you up, do not be anxious about what you're going to speak. It will be given to you in the hour which you're to speak. For it's not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. That applies, of course, immediately to the apostles. For us, it applies in terms of the fact that we have the written Word of God, the written Scripture. That's why we must read and study the Scripture so that when we encounter the warfare of men, we can deliver a clear, decisive reference of historic orthodoxy as to who Christ is. So for the immediate disciples, they're to continue witnessing throughout the cities of Israel, again referring back to Matthew 10, until the Son of Man comes, a reference to His spiritual coming in the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Beautiful illustration of this in the life of the Reformers. When John Calvin was at Geneva, men from all over the world would come to study under him. The French Calvinists, the Huguenots, would go to Geneva to study under the great John Calvin. He wouldn't let him stay. He's got to go back to France. France was a dangerous place in the times of the Reformation. Most of them went back to France, faithful to the Word of God, and were killed in their ministry because of their faith. Very small presence of the Protestant faith in France, even today, because of the violence of those years. But these were faithful men, genuine men. They suffered persecution. They bore up under it, trusting the Lord, putting on the full armor of God, acknowledging the strength of the might of God, the source of their ability. Witness to our day, to continue faithful, to persevere in the faith. Genuineness, of course, uh, besides act and content and persevering in tribulation, 
uh, is also seeing a beautiful expression of the grace of God, namely divine blessing, uh, verse, uh, verse 31, returning back to Acts chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, uh, it continued to increase. God consolidates the gains and display of His sovereignty. Again, the Jews are trying to put uh, the disciples to death, but God is prospering the church. One of the great ironies of the faith that God uses the wickedness of men to advance His kingdom. Uh, persecution spreads uh, the word beyond Jerusalem. The church is at peace. Outside there is warfare, there's tribulation, but within the church there's peace, unity in the church. There's also growth. The church is built up. The church is built up. God building His church. Uh, remember the great words that our Lord says to Peter. Uh, Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, the great gates of hell are trying to destroy us, but uh, because of Christ, we will be victorious. Of course, a construction metaphor. Uh, God building His church. Here in verse 31 of Acts 9, the church being built up. A great construction project. By the way, the greatest in all the world. God building His church. Something of this in Acts chapter 7, verse 49. Heaven is my throne, earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? It means that God's going to build the temple. God's going to build the house. He's building it now. The end time temple being constructed by the grace of God. The greatest construction project in all of the world. Satan desperately trying to destroy it cannot because of the grace of God. A reference to this, I think, in First uh, Peter chapter two, verse five. Peter says of the church, "You are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." We're part of the temple too, living stones, the grace of God. Uh, I, I, I say this for a number of reasons. We. We live in our culture and in time in which people are desperate for some sense of significance. Young people sometimes try to find it in their friends. Uh, men and women, their places of work. Sometimes those things fail and men fall into great consternation. Women as well. You know what our significance is, ladies and gentlemen? We've been saved by the grace of God and we're part of the end time temple and the gates of hell cannot Stop us the end appointed to us by God in His marvelous grace. Try they will. Their failure is certain. And the church was multiplied, Luke tells us, returning back to Acts 9, in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Spirit, that God is present. Greatest blessing of all time. God is always with you in your tears, in your discouragements, in your failures, in your struggles. 
Maybe the closing down of your company. I, I don't know. God is with you. And he will be with you till the end of the age. The actions here represent uh, numeric and qualitative growth. But more importantly, there's prophetic fulfillment here. It's manifestly critical that you understand that the book of Acts is much more than historic narrative. It's prophetic fulfillment. The Old Testament prophets are being realized in the book of Acts. The persecution does not stop the word of God. But remind you again of one of my favorite verses, Acts 40, uh, pardon me, Isaiah 45, 23. God says, I've sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That's what's occurring in Acts. The word of God is increasing, growing. It's happened in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and soon it's going to break out among the Gentiles. Furthermore, the persecution of the Again, is spreading the church meant to stop it, but uh, the growth of the church and the advancement of the word is unstoppable. In your Christian ministry, when you use the scripture, you don't control the outcome, the results, uh, but the word of God that you share with people is unstoppable. God will use it in whatever his eternal purposes have decreed. Beautiful illustration of this, I think, in the prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 54, verses 16 and 17. If you have your Old Testament, I encourage you to turn there. Because that's what's occurring in Acts 9. Isaiah 54, verses 16 and 17. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of the coals and brings out a weapon for its work. And I have created the destroyer to ruin no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Think of the majesty of that and the greatness of God. He even creates our enemies. But they cannot destroy us. Uh, because their weapons will not prosper against us. We have the Word of God, the genuineness of the faith, that God is sovereign over the weapons manufacturer. He purposes that they will not prosper against His people. Ladies and gentlemen, in the end time tribulation, I remind you that the enemy will not win. It cannot win uh, because the sons of God are protected by God Himself. And they have incredible weaponry in the Word of God. Well, this is the genuineness of the Apostle Paul. I trust in God's grace. It's uh, uh, his genuineness at work in Grace Bible Church. That in acting, in content, in persevering through tribulation, in uh, partaking of the great blessings of God, uh, we manifest to our community and to the world that we are genuine. And we should benchmark ourselves against uh, the book of Acts and not our contemporary culture. I'm always amazed by so many churches who think they need to borrow from contemporary culture. If you're going to borrow something, borrow from the Word of God. 
what God has ordained. And the best response to tribulation, whether individually or corporately, is to keep witnessing with the orthodox content the willingness to suffer knowing that Jesus Christ is with you to the end of the age. And all the while, that God will bless your life and your ministry beyond what you could ever imagine. And in his time, take you to himself. The greatest blessing is God taking us to himself.